Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's ALLBIRDS.com code SUPER24. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it is late on a Sunday evening, past my bedtime, getting ready to go uh, on a school night here, and I wanted to kick things off by asking you if it was time to call Time of Death on <laughs> Brothers War, but you have me excited to talk about the format, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein in my snark, and I'm excited to talk to you about this format. So here's the behind the scenes, folks, and, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be sure I'll be sure to let you let you in. Even you know some well, well, as we chat about the Patreon, I'll let you know that some folks get access to the show notes in advance of the episode. And so if you have access to the show notes, you can see a sort of this is a throwback, a little mini conversation between me and Ben of like Ben outlined the notes initially, and then I came back with some bullet points. Um, Thursday night we recorded a showdown video during the early access event for Brothers War. Thank you to Wizards for those free uh, stocked accounts for arena and i got on with ben after he had done a few hours of playing online i had played during the day we got on to record at night and i was like so how you feeling about the format and ben goes i <laughs> hate this format wow just outing me <laughs> right on the podcast i mean come on i have to I, what else can i do and i just i mean what scares me the most about this is that that was your reaction to streets of new capenna too and you were right. I think. Hold on. Wait, that wasn't your actual reaction. Didn't you like Streets for like the first two weeks? Because you were like winning with brokers? No, I thought Streets was not great. I thought Streets was going to be really narrow. I said, I think these gold un these mm. gold commons are overpowered. And if they're good, I think the format's going to be really narrow. Yeah. So I think you're often very good at like this will be good or bad. And that's just not how I engage with magic at least initially <laughs> like i just don't know how to do that because partially i just i don't trust myself in that way and i don't trust you know having six drafts under my belt and i've got about that at this point and we'll talk about that in just a second like what sort of information we're operating with as we move forward with this episode but I, rather than like you know oftentimes i'm like ben tone down the negativity i think i'm just <laughs> i'm gonna let it fly and i'll like give my sort of reasonable takes but i'm interested in hearing the reasoning behind what your initial negative reaction is so i, I think we're gonna have a good show today 
Oh, okay. I didn't know I was operating from the corner of anti-Brothers War. All right. I'm into it. I mean, is that not... I don't need you to, you know, lie or or I don't need you to not feel like you can be your true authentic self on our show, my friend. I was just going to try to bring a positive spin to things. I am excited to talk about the format. I mean, it's going to be good for a while regardless. I just am a little concerned about the longevity and or the amount of bomb rares that I'm going to lose to. I mean, yeah, there we go. There, There's my guy. Because like, you know, Ben, <laughs> ben I was like, hey, can you start the show notes? Because I, I was out of town this weekend. So I was like, you can start the show knows when I get to the airport, I'll finish them off. I'll add my thoughts. And then I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to like try and not fill it with like my negative thoughts about the show. And then just for, as an example, speaking of artifacts, the retro artifacts are all caps stupid. Why do we need game winning artifacts in every pack? Dash hate this. So well, he, sure. That, just that's tell everyone. That's tell everyone attempt. the inner workings of my mind. <laughs> I must do. Must do. Yeah, I think we're gonna have a good time. So so we had early access on Thursday Got in, I would say probably, I think, three human drafts and then a, a couple, maybe two to three of the quick drafts once they took down the the premier drafts. How about you? I did four human drafts on Thursday at the early access thing and then uh, got together with some of my friends from high school and we couldn't buy draft boosters at our LGS. We bought some set boosters. So we did like a little four person draft with some set boosters, which while not ideal limited practice is certainly better than nothing. So got to play with the cards a little bit more in paper. Yeah, for sure. And I, uh, though out of town, went uh, to Chicago this weekend to surprise a friend for his 40th birthday. I did dip out on Saturday morning for a little pre-release, played a few rounds at an LGS there. Uh, so I've, I've got that plus the early access plus a draft with some friends. But I think part of the fun about this episode is that you all get to sort of play along. You're operating with the same information that we have. You know, normally we get to leverage our sicko card here and be like, well, we've already done 20 or 30 drafts in week one. Not possible yet. You know, we've had a little bit of access to the the, the format on Thursday, but otherwise it's just been paper. And if, you know, you pre-released all weekend, you've got as many reps as we have. And so I think we're really just going to be checking in. It's going to be like a predictions 2.0 episode, just checking in with our assumptions from, you know, spoiler season from the crash course. And now with getting our hands on the cards and seeing where we're at and just sort of tweaking some knobs. Because I definitely have, you know, even with seeing a card hit the battlefield for the first time, you go, oh, that's how that works. And that's definitely different than I thought. Or, oh, that's how it works. And that's definitely how I thought it would work. So we're going to talk about our experiences and sort of start to shape what the format looks like. But it's definitely still blurry, I would say, unless you're Ben, and then you know it it stinks. <laughs> well, I would say this is slightly more than predictions 2.0, right? I mean, I feel like I know some things. And then there are some things that I just don't have any experience with, but have right. some feelings about based on the things that I think I know. But definitely we know significantly more than we did last week. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely think you just are better at that, more attuned to that. It's part of what you like to do with magic, which is you want to solve the format as quickly as possible. And I don't do that. I'm just, I, that's just like not, again, like not how my brain operates generally. And so I'm, I'm like very excited to pick your brain and hear your thoughts and experiences. So that's what today's show is going to be about. We're going to check in on all of the thoughts about the format, look at some re-rankings of the top commons in each color and talk about some over and under performers. Before we get into that, a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. And we always talk about it when a new set is around. The Patreon is a great place to give back to the show because you get access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is just a fantastic community. And I just want to shout out the Discord community. We got a lot of phenomenal feedback about the crash course last week. It was funny. The, the conversation started while we were recording on Sunday morning about here are some things to tweak. And we did a pretty big overhaul, you know, back back in the day of the crash course. If you're new to the show, we used to do some wild 
statistics. We used to look at like mean, median, and mode <laughs> as a real like, you know, algebra two problem or something. I don't know. We, we looked at some numbers without really understanding why we were looking at the numbers. Then we paired that back. And I think we've got some retooling to do for the next crash course. And I was really appreciative of, you know, first of all, appreciative of the fact that we have a community of people so invested in the show that they're thinking critically about how we can better the show and really happy that we have a platform where we get to do that, that we get to be like, yeah, that's the show we want to make. We want the show to be as good as it possibly can be. And I want to make sure that we get to do that. So I'm excited to implement a lot of those changes that we were given in the discord from uh, all of our faithful listeners. So shout out to all of you and another shout out. So at the LGS that I was at on Saturday morning, uh, you know, you sign up through the the companion app is how you, you get paired and they wanted to make sure everybody had signed up. So there was like a scrolling list of everybody's name on the screen. And I saw one of the names. I was like, that's one of our patrons. That's someone that I've coached before. That's one of our like highest tier patrons, actually. And then I scanned the room and I went, oh, there's Martin. There he is. So I walked over and I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And it was uh, exciting to get to, to see one of our, our patrons in the flesh in real life. And also it was like a pretty cool experience to be like, I just traveled like eight hours away from where I live. This isn't my LGS at all. And I know someone in this room. So that was a very exciting thing. So Patreon's just a great community. Wanted to shout out the folks that we already have supporting the show. And of course, want to shout out the new folks that we have joining this week. This week, we are welcoming David, Space Goat, Devon Eric, David, Maximilian, Paul, Earthen Coil, Bart, Will, and Jordan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I know we say that every week, but we really cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. That's tcgplayer.com. Maybe you're going to get some sealed product of Brothers War. Maybe you want to open some of those sweet retro artifacts in person and have them in paper MTG for your collection. Or maybe you want to get on a TCG Player subscription, which will give you some free shipping. It'll give you access, most importantly, to all the CFB Pro articles that me, Ethan, and Alex are writing every week about Limited. I've got one that I'm going to be writing this week about Power Stones and how best to make use of them in the format. So be on the lookout for that but would strongly encourage you for anything that you do over on the TCG Player website to take the time to go to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player. That will take you to our affiliate link. Or um, if you get that, you can go to the lordsoflimited.com website and click on the support tab there, and that will also take you to our affiliate link. And what that affiliate link will do is anything you purchase on the TCG Player website, we get a little kickback on that, and it helps out the show quite a bit. And speaking of the lordsoflimited.com website, we're going to have a tier list as well for Brothers War that's going to be up shortly. So if you're interested in 17 lands tier list, check out lordsoflimited.com for that as well. I just wrote that as you were talking about that. I was like, ah, yes, tier list wrote it on my uh, post-it note in front of me of the things I have to do in the morning. So that'll be up on our website by the time this podcast is in your ears. All right, Ben, let's let's tease a little bit of the the subjects that we're going to talk about. Format thoughts in no particular order. First bullet point, I don't have high hopes for this format. <laughs> that is my bullet point. I, I, it's not that I don't have high hopes for the format. I think it is that what I hoped the format was is that it is not that. I hope the format really was going to be Power Stones the format and that like you were going to be trying to get as many Power Stones as possible and the more mana you had access to, the more you could dump it into these sweet mana sink engines and like cast these big giant mechs. And it looked like there were a lot of sweet things to do and a lot of sweet build arounds to try. But I don't know that you're going to have time to do all that stuff. I have felt 
that the aggressive decks are very real and hit you very hard. And I've been derping around and dirtling around, not affecting the board very much. And you, <laughs> you get punished very hard for doing that. And it feels a little Streets of New Capenna-ish to me in that way, that if you're not getting on board early and leveraging your board presence, that you're going to be having a rough go in the format. Yeah, see, I've had similar experiences of being run over by either bombs, but let's talk by bombs, but just by aggressive starts or, you know, constant pressure or, you know, getting on board early and often. But I have felt largely responsible for those losses because I know, like, I felt like that gave me some information in the early access events of like, I lean too far into the wheel spinny nature of this deck. Like, I have a really sweet engine. Like, yes, I assembled Urza plus Clay Revenant. So I got to do the thing where you discard <laughs> yes. Clay Revenant and make a Power Stone and then bring Clay Revenant back. And you're, you know, making this engine and drawing a card every turn. And this is only costing you a black mana. But then, like, at the, I was like, but what am I doing? Like, yes, this is cool, <laughs> but what am I actually doing with this? I'm doing nothing. I'm getting run over by Deathseize, like giant monsters on the other side of the battlefield, you know? So I don't, like, I agree with you that that has been my experience, but I haven't taken away from that experience of, oh, this format stinks. You can't do those things. I think it's just more like, you probably got to rein it in a little bit. It's not just, an, it isn't truly no rush magic the format like you have to be able to you know i don't know operate on these different axes in a way that you can combat those aggressive strats and then maybe if your deck is doing a late game thing i think it's got to be better than just that sort of dirtly i'm accruing card advantage it's like yeah but what are you gonna you have to then do something with this constant flow of power stones because you're just gonna die yes i agree i think the thing that you have in our show notes that rang true to me when I read it and made me feel slightly guilty was that your getting run over by bombs or aggressive starts has largely been due to your own wheel spinning. And it wasn't something that you felt was insurmountable. Like you felt like if you changed your strategies, you could combat these decks. And I think that probably rings true to me as well. But I do think there is something about, you know, if these decks exist, and they're good, which I think is true, there are very good proactive decks that puts constraints on the format, right? I mean, that's that's part of the problem with SNC was that you had to operate according to the rules of engagement. And I think there are going to be some very strict rules of engagement with the format as far as playing to the board early on. I agree with that. I just, the, the, the comparison to SNC, SNC felt so narrow to me in that it was two drops the format, but two drops the format that like completely put a chokehold on the creativity and your uh, ability to bob and weave in the draft. And I haven't felt that yet. Yes, I, I think that is true. Also, I think one, one of the other reasons I don't have high hopes for the format is I think there's just a huge power level gap in cards. And I think that is also true and something I don't like and something that doesn't bother you as much. But like, the best rares are absurd, and then there's like a gap, and then there's like really good uncommons that are absurd, and then there's a gap, and then there's like the best commons, and then there's a huge gap, and then there's all the rest of the commons, which just don't matter very much as a result, I think. All right, so we got to talk about that. We got to talk about power level gap. We got to talk about power stones. Is it power stones the format? I want to talk about prototypes. I want to talk about removal. But before we get into all that, we're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll be back with all that good stuff. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. When a new set comes out, the thing that everyone wants is a tier list. The quick hits, the fast rules of engagement for how to win. 
And when problems come up in life, you want the same thing. Navigating any of life's changes can be tricky, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out some of life's more difficult situations. Much like data for MTG, they're not the end-all be-all, but they're an incredibly helpful tool. I've recently been seeing a therapist to help me find some solutions for life's trickier problems. I'm lucky to be in a place where I have a supportive partner, friends, and family, but a therapist has been a great piece of that support puzzle. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Lords. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now, back to the show. Okay, first up here, I want to check in on Power Stones. Because there is stuff that we were right about with them, I think, and stuff that we were wrong about. And I'm going to focus on the right first, which is that I think they are as powerful as we anticipated. Yes, I agree. I think Power Stones are, by and large, good. I would say very close to worth a card if you are trying to draft around them. And it's pretty hard to not make use of them. Yeah, and I'm just going to call Ben out again in that the sub bullet point he has for power stones are good is that they're also kind of tilting if you're stuck on lands and can't use them to cast spells. <laughs> so <laughs> that's your that is Ben trying to not focus on being negative about the format. And you can be just be trying to not be super <laughs> negative. I'm I literally I mean, I could rant about this format for an hour <laughs> if you want to turn me loose, but I don't think anyone wants to listen to that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a long blooper. We'll see. I, I, I think they are just as powerful as we thought. And I have two adjustments to my predictions about how they were going to fit into the format. And the first is the thought of you get two power stones a game. I think was a pretty big over adjustment, a pretty big over uh, anticipation of how many power stones you get. I think power stones are largely all attached to very good cards, right? You have them attached to stern lesson, the draw two, discard one at instant speed, make a power stone or the explosion, the red common that deals three damage. You make a power stone like there. There's not a lot of junky cards that make power stones. So I felt, and I, I said this in our showdown video, actually, when we were looking at our decks at the end of it is, that I have felt that I don't get enough things that make power stones. And I've often tricked myself. And like, if I get two things in my first six picks that make power stones, then I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have so many power stones. Got to make sure I have stuff to do with the mana. And then I end the draft and I have like four things that make power stones. So I've definitely tricked myself there. And there is plenty to do with the power stone mana I have found that doesn't include casting the big dumb prototype creatures so like my thought that the big the rust goliath the 10 mana 10 10 reach trample that can be cast for 3 gg as a 3 5 reach trample i thought that was like the third best comment i think that's gonna be great we're gonna be casting these big tron things one of the reasons that i don't think that card is very good is that as we'll talk about later removal is back with a vengeance in this format you know you're you cast a 10 mana 10 10 your opponent goes cool disenchant and you feel sad But I also just think like there's just plenty to do with them that doesn't involve you having these big clunky cards in your deck. Yes, I completely agree with that sentiment as well. Specifically Unearth, I think using it to pay for Unearth costs is awesome. There's just a lot of activated abilities running around on creatures as well that's good. I think Energy Refractor, that's the Prophetic Prism filtering thing, is a, a great place to put Power Stone mana and kind of a way to let you cheat and use two Power Stones to spend an actual mana on a card, which is also very important. 
Um, but I do think I've found Power Stones to be a little more prevalent than you have. And I certainly think early on on Arena, people are going to be undervaluing those cards. And I, I expect early on, you're going to be able to get cards that make Power Stones. I have found had an average of two, I think, on the battlefield. And my record during the early access was like nine or ten. It was something absurd. Yeah, I remember you messaging me on Discord that you had like, you're like, all right, my uh, my early uh, maximum here is nine, which was impressive because I did not have that. I mean, I definitely, yeah, I had the the infinite in a way with the Urza plus Clay Revenant thing. But then that didn't really that that wasn't very successful. So I didn't feel like <laughs> I didn't feel like more power stones equaled more better in that sense. I was like, OK, there's got to be some sort of sweet spot here. I do think there is a sweet spot and more is not necessarily better. I lost that game. I had nine or ten power stones because there are mana sinks. But again, like you have to be respecting what's going on on the board. Right. And and one of the things that power stones interact with the most is prototypes, which I want to talk about next because I, like I said, was not really impressed at all by the big dumb ones and i really have to eat my words you know one of the cards we disagreed on was goring warplow which is the six mana five four death touch or the prototype cost is one and a black for a one one death touch i actually found that card to be a lot better than i thought it was i have to eat my words i think that's full point for you even more so you know you had boulder branch golem that's the um seven mana six five gain six or it's two gg for a three three that gains three i found those to be great i think the, the more cheaper the prototype cards have been, the cheaper their modality has been, the better. And then I think that really clued me into, oh, Power Stones aren't about accruing a bunch of them and ramping out something giant. They're just about getting ahead on mana, right? That you can get, get ahead a turn. You know, you cast your five mana artifact on turn four because you made a Power Stone on turn three. That's the best use of Power Stones and prototypes, I think. Yes, I agree with that sentiment as well. The next thing I want to lead into, which is another sort of, you know, coupling of what do you do with power stones and what do you do with these big dumb creatures or or why aren't these big dumb creatures working is that removal is back in a big way. Removal is very good in this format. And a lot of what we noticed in the crash course of like, there's not a lot of things that are conditional removals. You know, as we moved through what kills X2s, what kills X3s, what kills X4s, we had one card, two cards, one card, you know, not a lot as we usually do. The majority of the removal hits everything unconditionally. And that's good because you need to do that. But that also means that, you know, you have to be able to interact with these cards, but also that you can interact with a lot of these big monsters. Well, for sure. And that there are a lot of cards worth interacting with. See the stupid retro artifacts that win the game on the spot. <laughs> and a lot of the a lot of the rares and mythics that are just in the format. And they're all colorless, right? So like people are going to be able to cast them and pick them. Like I would assume most of your opponents have a bomb rare in their deck that you're going to want to be able to interact with. And you're going to get a mana advantage on a lot of the things too, because there are big expensive things that people are going to be trying to play for sure. And if your opponent plays a 10, 10 or they play an eight, six menace or whatever, you're going to want to be able to interact. Not to mention there are just a lot of cheaper rares too, that have excellent abilities that you're going to want to get off the battlefield. Right. I think, you know, that pulls red and black ahead for me in a sense, certainly black. And as we get to, when we talk about uh, colors and, and color rankings and all that stuff, like, you know, Black we thought was going to be great. I think Black has delivered on being great so far in our small sample sizes. And part of that is its abundance of ways to interact. You know, Disfigure has proved to be great. The Exile spell that gets cheaper for creatures in your graveyard has been great. Uh, the Bone Splinters variant has been great. 
partially because if you got power stones floating around, it basically feels free. It just feels like a two mana kill anything you want. You know, I have not had that much experience. Jury was still out for me on disfigure. So I'm glad to hear you say that it's good. The power stone fracture. I have not been super impressed with. So Mm. good to know that you've had good experiences. That one jury is still out for me on. Maybe as I pare down my Power Stone production, I may feel less uh, excited about that card. But my initial take is that it's definitely good. Now, tweaking the knobs is still out for me in terms of, you know, what's the magic number of removal or what strategies want more removal, want less removal? What's diminishing returns on certain effects? Like I would assume, you know, disfigure gets worse in multiples or whatever. There may be overwhelming remorse is just good period. And maybe you don't need to make a lot of considerations for reducing the cost of it, et cetera. I don't have that information yet. I don't have a feel for that yet, but I definitely have a feel for the fact that I want I think just currently as many ways to interact as possible. Because one of the things I ran into with my, I mean, this is, I sort of had an oops, all problems deck. I had this like great, mostly blue artifacts deck during the early access event. And this was the, the one that made a ton of power stones and didn't really have anything to do with them. But it also had almost no ways to interact. Like the blue tap a thing, keep it tapped enchantment is like fine. I think enchantment based removal suffers a little bit, certainly at the hands of sacrifice existing beyond just a steal and sack uh, strategy. Like sacrifice outlets just exist and are good. And so I think that makes those enchantment based removal spells worse, but sort of a necessary evil in general. Anyway, I think that's one of the knocks against blue is that it doesn't get better ways to interact other than that. But interaction has just felt great to me. Yes, I agree. And I think even some of the like what we would normally consider tier two removal, like you mentioned, the blue claustrophobia effect or the white pacifism effect, like those are just cards that I think you're going to be playing because you're going to need ways to interact. I think currently my ideal deck is just kind of a basic limited deck. Like you have some bombs, you have some card advantage, you have some removal, like nothing fancy. And I think that's going to be a good deck in the format. And then There's also, I think, if you don't get the bombs or whatever, there are the uncommon build arounds to, you know, make synergistic decks with. But I think even in those synergistic decks, like normally you would be trying to maybe include just one way to interact or something, or maybe you're just assuming your synergy is good enough. I don't think you can get away with that in this format. I think you're going to need to include ways to interact even in the most synergistic of decks. I totally agree. And I also think the same is true for aggressive decks. Oftentimes I think about aggressive decks as like, you know, you maybe need a, a way to interact with a small thing, a way to interact with a big thing, and then you're good and you can just have oops all threats. I think aggressive decks are going to have to have more ways to interact than just that. For sure. All right, Ben, how much time do you want to talk about the retro artifacts? I mean, they're horrible. <laughs> I hate it so much. Like, so What's the many short of them? list of cards you've lost to so far? Uh, Worm Coil Engine. Classic. The Phyrexian Processor, is that what it's called? Oh, the one where you pay life and then poop out a token each turn? Yeah, that card is completely egregious. Uh, The nine mana portal that makes you sacrifice three creatures when it ETBs and then starts to reanimate the creatures that it kills. Like, why? The the dragon that uh, deals four damage to something when it ETBs the red mythic dragon. Well, but that's not a, okay. Hold on, you get you don't get to complain about everything here. I'm just talking about the <laughs> retro artifacts. All right, like, just uh, the retro artifacts. Okay, so limiting to the retro artifacts, there are a lot of them that are very good. There are a lot of them that are unplayable, and then there's like the middle of the road sweet spot where they're like the cool cantrippy artifacts that have like a minor effect that are very good in the synergistic packages in the decks. Those I'm all about. 
But there's such a huge variation in power level of the retro artifacts. And anybody that opens one of the good ones, it's just a huge spike in your win rate based on what you opened in a pack, which like, yes, I get that that's happening in magic, but it takes all of the element of like, okay, in pack one, I read that, you know, I started blue black and I read that red green was open and I abandoned ship to red green. And then in pack three, I'm hoping to get paid off with a lot of good red green. Like you just don't get that because in pack three, your opponent opens some retro artifact bomb and takes it. Like you're never going to get the benefit of reading that the right colors are open as far as getting past bomb rares because all the bomb rares are colorless. Yes, I, I think I agree with that. I haven't felt it, you know, to, to the extent that you have, because of course, hashtag Ben Warney, why me? But I, I I agree with that sentiment. I think it's it's different than the Strixhaven mystical archive of like, you know, you could you could get past time warp. It's not crazy that you could get past approach of the second sun. You know, you could get past these powerful rares because they had colors attached to them. And by pack three, you just can't jump ship for them. And that's not going to happen here. Like you're, you will literally never get past a worm coil engine, right? That's just never going to happen. I'm sure someone will screenshot it and post it to Twitter, but yes, by and large, it's never happening. Right. I, the thing I want to focus on here, I think for our listeners, other than, you know, just the, the complaint equity is, is what you, you hit on there of the sweet spot of the cheap cantripping artifacts. Those I thought were all going to be sweet. They've all woefully overperformed my expectations. We're talking about Mishra's Bauble. That's the zero mana artifact. You can sacrifice it, look at the top card of your opponent's library, and then draw a card at the beginning of the next turn's upkeep. Learned about how to work that in with the draw two. I was like, oh, I have to sack this <laughs> on your, your turn. turn. Yeah. And then I was, oh, and can we just talk about, I don't know what your experience was playing in your four person draft with your friends. This format in paper is abysmal. The triggers, the token production, the keeping track of things. Like I did not enjoy my time. Like I enjoyed my time in terms of playing paper magic with friendly people in a new environment, but I did not enjoy like having to have so many rectangles of cardboard that I couldn't (laughs) neatly put in front of me on arena, you know? That's just paper magic is just messy though, right? I, I guess, mean, like I guess with as true. much as we play online. Yeah, that's fair. So Mistress Bobble, Chromatic Star, that's the cantripping one that is awesome because it doesn't require you to sacrifice it for mana. It just says when it goes to the graveyard from the battlefield. So you can sacrifice that to the um, the black bone splinters. I'm forgetting the name, but it's the one on the black thing. Sack a creature, an artifact, and you destroy a target creature or planeswalker with it. So sacking that to Chromatic Star is sweet. Soul Guide Lantern is super awesome. That's the one that comes into play exiles a card from a graveyard and then you can tap sack it to exile your opponent's graveyard or pay one tap sack it to draw a card that leads me to my next point which is that soul guide lantern really impressed me and that you know one of the things i was noticing during doing my set review with alex doing prepping for the crash course with you was all the weird little incidental pieces of graveyard hate and then once i saw unearth in action i was like oh i get it unearth is just great I thought on Earth would be fine, cool, whatever. I think basically all the unearthed creatures are fantastic. They combo with self mill, which is quite prevalent. And we should talk about it's not on the list here, but I do want to talk about the cycle of the mill three creatures because I think I was wrong about a lot of those. I still don't know how to evaluate them. <laughs> I, I think we should talk about them again though, because it's not on the list. So that's why I'm, I'm putting it out there. So combos with self mill, combos with sacrifice, which is prevalent. They can be cast 
and unearth with power stones, which is really good. They just do so many small things. Like think about, I've just been really impressed with combat career. That's the sort of think twice variant, the one mana one, one uh, that you can pay two to sacrifice to draw a card. And then it has unearth for a single blue scrap work. Mutt, that's the two one that lets you rummage when it ETBs scrap work rager. That's the Phyrexian rager. That just feels really powerful. Scrap work cohort is the white one that brings four bodies effectively, right? Three, one comes into play, makes a one, one, then comes back, makes another other one one so you get four of them and they're all soldiers which is relevant I-, I think unearth was something i was like oh cute that's back and i think it's back and really a, a big role player in the format Absolutely. I agree with all those cards you just named, especially Combat Courier has been super impressive. But I think the other thing that's cool about the artifacts with Unearth is when you unearth them, it's also another trigger for artifacts entering the battlefield. There's just yes. a lot of cool synergy pieces with the cheap Unearth artifact creatures. And I think those kind of flew under the radar because the prototypes were so big and so flashy. But I think that the cheap unearth creatures are actually where it's at for the artifact stuff. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. We're like, oh, prototype, how cool this like new variant and unearth was like, um, hello, I'm here too. And I think for limited unearth is a much more important player. Yes, very excited about Unearth. I also want to shout out one of the retro artifacts that you haven't talked about in the, the cantripping cycle, the Elsewhere Flask. Oh, yes. On the ETB's draw card, and then you can sack it to turn all your lands into a basic land type. Huge combo with that cycle of uncommons mm-hmm. that care about, you know, casting it with swamps or casting it with forests or having planes you have or whatever. So be on the lookout for that. Like if you've got a corrupt and an Elsewhere Flask, you can turn your corrupt into drain equal to the number of lands you control, which is super awesome. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And and picking those up early is just such a low commitment, though. I, again, this is a, all the I'm t- keep using this idea. I'm, I'm doing a lot of hand acting. If you can't, <laughs> if you can hear me, but for a podcast I'm, it, perfect for podcasting. I'm really using my skills to the best of their ability, but tweaking these knobs of like, OK, the cantripping artifacts are good, but we don't want to spin our wheels too much. And that's what you can do when you're spending, you know, one mana or two mana to cantrip and have this thing set on the battlefield until you find a synergy piece with it. So I am interested in figuring out that sort of recipe for success with those kinds of cards. Um, But I agree. All all of those have been impressive. All right, we're going to take one more quick ad break. And then I want to talk about the color pair signposts with you. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? It's as easy as taking a multivitamin, Ben. One scoop of AG1 shaken with water, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting pretty good. With every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com LOL. 
Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now back to the show. All right. So this was a big question we had last week, right? It was like, do these signpost cards uh, matter that much? Are we going to be drafting a lot of streamlined two color decks? What are your thoughts after a few days with the set? I think the answer is yes. I think they're not plan A for me right now. And again, this, a lot of this is conjecture. I've done four drafts, but my my gut feeling at the moment is that plan A is going to be some bombs, some card advantage, some removal, just like a good old fashioned bread limited deck. And then I think plan like 1.5 or tier 1.5 or whatever are going to be the synergistic signpost uncommons. And I've been very impressed with some of them, but it's weird in that there aren't a lot of cards. Like we noted that in the crash course, right? There aren't a ton of cards that support each archetype, but I think the cards that are there that do support them are very good. So I've been super impressed with Blue Red, the Iconoclast, the two one that poops out one one artifact soldier tokens. That card's excellent. Uh, the white black one, the five mana, three white black for the three two that when it ETBs, you get to return a creature with mana value three or less to the battlefield. And it gives creatures mana value three or less plus one plus oh, that one has been backbreaking. The blue black draw two deck has been very impressive and even more so than the gold uncommon, the gurgling anointer or whatever oh it's called gosh, the one three yeah. flyer has been absurdly good. So I do think those decks are there. And I think when you navigate yourself into one of those lanes and no one's competing with you for it, those decks are going to be premium. I agree with that. I have found myself so far very often in Grixis colors in the early access event. So that's blue, black, and red. I one time got to navigate myself sort of as a like, I really want to get into this deck into green, um, which I think is largely as we'll get to when we talk about the top commons, I think really largely exists at uncommon or higher. Like green's commons, I think leave a little bit to be desired, but like, our preview card, the um, Sarenth Steelseeker, one in a green, one, two. And whenever an artifact ETBs, you get to look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you can put it into your hand. Or if it's not a land, you get to put it uh, back on top of your library or into your graveyard. You effectively get to surveil. And then my uh, preview card, the one that animates non-creature artifacts into four fours until end of turn. Both of those are fantastic. I haven't navigated into white. I have faced streamlined soldiers decks and been impressed but i have found it hard to know how to get into that and maybe it's just like you just got to understand that that's a good deck and ignore all of the fun artifacty power stony things but i think white you know normally in these artifact sets green doesn't get to play nice with the the artifact themes i think white sort of does that in this set like white has the two mana two one that when it dies makes a power stone which i think is a powerful card but i think is out of my top three white commons at the moment not because i don't think it's good but just because i don't think that's what white's doing right yeah i agree with that sentiment how have you found warlords elite the the tuna white four four that when it etbs you have to tap you know, artifacts or creatures, two things to help you cast it. I haven't played with it myself, and I haven't seen it do that much work on the other side of the battlefield. But you told me at the end of Early Access, you were like, I think you were more right about that than I was. So talk to me about what you've seen with this card. That's been my impression. I've had it in a white deck, and I would have wanted as many copies as I could get, I think. Just the three mana, four, four. If you get a go, one drop, two drop, Warlords Elite, it's very good. It also doesn't have the problem of something like Enlist where you can only use, you know, creatures that aren't summoning sick to help you cast mm. it. It's a good double spell thing, right? Like on turn five, if you have a power stone laying around and then you play a two drop plus a Warlord's Elite and you tap that two drop plus the power stone. Like I think it is a little easier to do than it was at first glance when I was saying I thought it was garbage. And just the fact that it's 
a four, four soldier in the soldier's deck that can be jumped into the air with something like air marshal is like a really big clock. And I, specifically that blue white soldier's deck just flying in general has been super impressive, like aggressive flying things. And I think warlords elite can be that in the blue white soldier's deck. The other thing it does, and I don't really like this card very much, is recommission is the one in a white sorcery. You get to basically raise dead or, or sorry, reanimate uh, a mana value three or less creature from your graveyard to the battlefield and uh, put a plus and plus one counter on it. You can get back Warlords Elite with that. And I have seen a five five with that, which is pretty big for two mana. Yeah, I agree. I, I Jury's out. It's too early to know. But I my curiosity is definitely peaked about Warlords Elite, and I could certainly see it being one of the top white commons. All right. Before I forget, I want to talk about this cycle of self mill creatures. So these are, you know, for example, white has two and a white for a one one flyer. When ETBs, you mill three, then you can choose from among them a planes or a creature with mana value three or less, put it in your hand. And then if you don't, you put a plus one plus one counter on the creature. And there's, you know, a cycle of these where one in each of the colors. I think, you know, red finds artifacts, black finds creatures, blue finds non land, non creature spells, and green just finds lands. Have you played with these, played against them? What are your thoughts on these versus your you know, predictions from the crash course? I was super high on them in the crash course, and you kind of pulled me back on them. And I still have no idea what to think <laughs> about them. I've played with them. I've played against them. Like They have such a wide variety of hitting. My gut right now, to me, says that the, the blue and the red are not very good, and I think you're hoping to not play those too much, but that the white, the green and the black deck dependent are all quite good. And I think the green and the black, those those three are the colors that care about the mill the most, I think. Yes, I think it's very interesting. I do think green, black self mill or turbo self mill is real. I have faced that deck and been quite impressed by it. Um, you know, just just milling whatever your clay revenants, your unearth creatures then reanimating or, you know, turning on things that care about you having creatures in your graveyard. I do think that's a real deck. And I, I think the white one is good too. I, I agree with you. The red one is just, I think, basically unplayable. It's just too hard to have it. You, you need 13 artifacts to feel like you've got like a, a one in three chance in your deck period and that you're just not going to get that. Um, and the blue one, I think I'm maybe slightly higher on than you, but it, it's still filler. Like it's in the, the DD plus range still for me. Um, I, I think the white and the green one are good. Like good as in top commons, good as in you're just always playing it. Like where are you at? That's a really tough question. I think the green one might be. I could see the green one being maybe just out of the top three green commons. But but it's largely, I think, because one, green's commons, I think, are mostly synergistic. Like it's got the fight spell. It's got the three two that makes a power zone. I think those are just clearly good. And then the rest of green's commons, I think, is largely up to what your deck is doing. Yeah, that's fair. So I don't know. I, I guess jury is still out for me as well. But I was pretty low on this cycle and I've come up. And so I just wanted to, again, I feel like I, I was a little too negative on these and I want to play with them and see them and play more, but I'm, I'm interested in having them in my deck right now. For sure. Like, I mean, when the black one hits, it feels great. I mean, it's a, yeah, you're, it's basically a grave digger and that's not hard to do. It's not hard for it to hit. And then you get a four mana, two, three grave digger. Now it's not a creature of your choice, but it is a creature. Right. Um, let's talk about black. It has seemed just as deep and as good and as powerful as we thought, right? 
I have been very impressed with black. Yes. We've already talked about it's whatever, three, four common removal spells that it has that I think are all very good. It's it's creatures are strong. You know, I'm still unclear what black's top three commons are, but that's largely because I feel like I could choose three of eight or nine cards and be pretty happy. But that's really about the only color that I feel that way about in the format. The other colors, I think, have a pretty steep fall off after their top few commons. I agree. And well, it's even hard to think like, I think, you know, red has a clear one, green has a clear one. And then beyond those, I'm like, again, I think it's pretty deck dependent. Yeah, they're maybe a little deeper than that in some of those colors. But I agree. There is there is a clear top common, I think, for almost every color. Um. Energy Refractor has been very impressive. I think that, you know, we came in hot. I remember saying like B, B plus and in my set review on stream with Alex and, you know, chat giving me a little pushback. I've loved that card. And that sort of leads me to the thought about fixing. You know, I've seen some some scuttle on Twitter about, you know, there's not a lot of fixing. How do you get the sort of archetype lead happening without a lot of mana fixing? And it's true. You know, you've got Energy Refractor as your cantripping way to filter mana and you've got Evolving Wilds and, and that's about it. I think the green one drop also is pretty underrated at the moment that lets you tap something to make a man of any color. Did you see that you can use that on turn one and then howling mine on turn two and then just you're drawing a free card every turn? I have seen that. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to be checking that off my old bucket list at some point in the next couple months. Um, Yeah, OK, I could see that card being uh, being underrated for sure. So what are your thoughts on fixing in the format? There is a little bit of awkwardness. I have a kind of a take of like, maybe you're just supposed to stretch your mana, not in like an irresponsible way, but just in a lean into the colorless nature of it all of like, hey, 10 of my cards are colorless or whatever. And so my mana base can be a bit more whatever, 764, 773. And I can feel not as bad about that as I would in a normal set, you know? I did that last night in the paper draft <laughs> with my friends. It didn't work out very well. I had yeah. that same thought. I, I still think you're trying to build a responsible mana base. I guess it's, it is hard because there are so few cards that are truly colorless, right? Everything has either the unearth cost is is color or its activated ability like Clay Revenant has a color associated with it. So it, it is hard to feel like it's truly colorless, you know? Right. But let's go back to Energy Refractor because this card, I think, is insane. And I don't know that other people like it as much as you and I do. So it does a lot of things. One, if you get two Power Stones plus Energy Refractor, it means your two Power Stones can pay for one mana of any colored spell then too, right? Because you can Mm -hmm. launder the two Power Stones through Energy Refractor, (laughs) which is awesome. It's very good. And the other thing it does is there's the things like, you know, maybe you're playing a black red deck. And so you want Sacrifice Fodder. So maybe you want Scrapwork Cohort, which is like the 3-1 that makes a 1-1. And then it has the white Unearth. It lets you free roll Scrapwork Cohort plus get chances at the activated ability. And it also, when it ETBs draws a card, there's things that care about you drawing two cards in a turn. It just has synergy all over the place. And it's a good early pick, much like Golden Egg was in um, Eldrain, because you get a hashtag delay the decision, which I think is both good and bad in this format in some ways. (laughs) I don't know. I I have felt, again, very low sample size of drafts, but I have really felt like packs have dried up 
very quickly. Like by pick four, pick five, pick six, you're really seeing low power level cards. You said you haven't experienced that. So maybe I just got unlucky in the drafts, but there's been a couple times I've set myself up with energy refractors and evolving wilds and things like that and just couldn't find stuff to splash. But I do think energy refractor just does so many things so well that it's going to be a very high pick. Okay, there's two things that I want to touch on here. One is that this idea about free rolling the activations of, you know, unearth creatures or whatever that are artifacts um, with the, the the power stones and energy refractor. And the all of that stuff, the like, this looks like a colorless card, but it actually ha- it actually does have an association with the color. It feels very similar to the kicker conversation from Dominaria United of like, well, this is a white card, but its kicker activation is black. And so does that mean you want to splash for it? Does that mean this is truly a white, black, gold card? Does that mean you played this in any white deck? Does that mean you played this in a black deck and splash the white part of it? You know, like, I think that is an interesting, like, I see those two playing in conversation and in back-to-back sets. And I think it's another thing of like, is this a colorless card you're happy playing with if you can never, you know, touch the color mana requirement that it has in its activation or its unearth cost? Or is this something that you want to splash for? Is it something that's not worth splashing, but you're happy to play it as a main color? You know, I think all of that is, is interesting in terms of card evaluation. And then I want to talk about this idea of the packs being filled with bad or unexciting cards. It has not felt like that to me. You know, if I think about the sets that feel like that the most, like Dominaria, OG Dominaria, Theros Beyond Death, that like don't have almost any power at common and you can even feel by like pack one pick two like good lord there are no cards i actually want to play in this pack i haven't felt that but i have definitely felt like excited by cards that i think will be gone in a few weeks like a pick seven combat courier and been like oh yes that's sweet I think those will just get snapped up sooner in a couple weeks is my fear and then i think i might start to experience the thing that you've experienced Yeah, that makes sense to me. I also think some of it too is I'm probably just more sensitive to the power level gaps in the cards. Like Mm -hmm. I just feel like so many of the cards don't matter or get invalidated by some of the more powerful cards. It's not necessarily that there's unplayable cards in the packs, but I feel like there's not good enough cards to incentivize you to switch colors. Like after you've got some good cards, like you've got your bomb rare in red and red's drying up and then like, yeah, I'm seeing green and black by pick five, pick six, but they're not good enough that I'm really going to move off of red. Like it feels like you're disincentivized to try to pivot, I guess. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. I think I agree with that. And I definitely have, you know, I'm more excited about like, ooh, I get to turn this D grade card into a D plus with this synergy than you. You're like, I don't want to play this piece of garbage card. (laughs) And rightfully so, I think. So I'm trying to keep that, you know, part of my engagement with magic in check a little bit as we talk about the power level gap. But I think for me right now, I'm trying to view that as a feature, not a bug of the format, that it part of the draft is trying to mine those mid to late pack picks for their maximum value rather than just feeling like, well, none of this matters because I didn't get a bomb or I I don't get to play with, you know, card X or whatever, or get to get into this lane or I have no reason to move out of a lane, whatever. I'm trying to view it as more of a feature of a bug. But in a couple of weeks, I may be like, nope, you're right. This is a bug. Well, and I don't even know that it's necessarily that too, but maybe another way to frame it is something like this. Like, let's say you end up in red, black sacrifice. The handful of commons that you care about is very small 
from each of those colors or from red, for example, like so many of red's commons, you're not making use of in red, mm. black sacrifice. So you really need to see like the two, three that lets you sacrifice an artifact to give it plus one, plus one and do a damage. Or you need to see the act of treason. If you don't see those cards, you're just like, well, oh, these red commons are no good, you know? Right. Yeah. Because a lot of them are aggressively slanted. And so is your red black deck aggressively slanted? And then if it's not, if it's more like grindy or more seal and sack, I think that's true. I think you're right. You know, you only have a handful of of the, you know, if you were thinking about it being 18 commons, maybe you do you only have five that you're actually excited about. And maybe that's just something where you got to get better at drafting the format. Like maybe I'm not good at drafting the format yet. And as we get better, we'll figure out what cards let you leverage having more options. There it is. There's Ben benefit of the doubt. Wernie. That's that's what I need. I need to tease that out a little bit more here. Um, any other of these big picture thoughts that you want to uh, touch on before we get to some card specifics and some card re-rankings? Uh, yeah, I think decks really to me so far have seemed to either really care about artifacts and power stones and mana sinks and activated abilities or not cared about them much at all. And I think figuring out where you are on that spectrum of how much you care about artifacts and power stones and being able to use your power stones is going to be an important piece of the draft puzzle. Yeah, I agree with this as well. And I wonder if there is more bleed. Like I am, I'm obviously interested in the bleed between artifacts and maybe, you know, maybe we just have to take evolving wilds higher. Maybe we just have to take energy refractor higher. You know, I mean, I, that's not quite possible for you and me, but certainly I could take evolving wilds higher. I think um, if I'm feeling that choke on, on fixing um, or stretch your mana or whatever you're supposed to do. And I also wonder if like Streets of New Capenna, is it just going to be like, you know, is the Power Stone and Big Mana deck going to feel like more cute than good? And it's just like, no, you're just supposed to be like a streamlined beatdown soldiers deck. And that will make me feel less happy about the format. That is my fear. Or I think it's going to almost be something like where you have to have rares for like the Power Stone stuff to pay off, right? Because so many of the rares are kind mm. of medium expensive artifacts that like, the default is not going to be going all in on power stones necessarily. It will be more going in on an aggressive strategy because I think if you don't get the rares, you need to try to get the game over with too because the rares are stupid, you know, like much like in Streets of New Capenna, like, yeah, you could do the treasure derp around thing, but there weren't a lot of cards to incentivize you to try to make the game go longer, you know? Right. And you so could think, get a deck with Jenny Faye, but again, you needed the rare to have a reason to do that kind of deck and your default was to avoid that deck. Right. So I think if you don't get the sweet bomb rares, I th I'm worried that your default has to be aggro here to try to end the game. I think I like that. I think I like operating with that as we start. I, I, the set comes out in a couple days on Tuesday. I think I like starting with that of like, look, if I get a bomb, if I get a really sweet thing from either the rare, rare slot or the retro artifact slot, then I can start to prioritize, you know, hashtag delay the decision and things that make power stones. But otherwise, maybe it's about identifying what the good two color decks are that can be supported at common like as we've identified blue white soldiers and i think just a lot of white based soldier decks in general i think black green self mill has a way to do that if maybe you can slant that a bit more aggressively or a bit more creature based and then you can tweak that a little bit of like hey i'm gonna op like plan a is gonna be this unless i see this kind of rare in which case i can go to plan b i think that's a good way to think about it yeah and i'm curious about how all that shakes out all right, let's get to some card specifics. We have a handful of overperformance that we want to chat about. Start with me on Aeronaut Cavalry. This is four and a white for three, four flyer when ETBs put a plus one, plus one counter on another target soldier you control. Going into the format, I had this in like D territory in my brain and I have not cast it yet. 
every time my opponents have cast it, it has been a huge problem. It has usually enabled an attack for them and then been an aggressive flyer that I have to spend a removal spell on. Yes. I mean, speaking of soldiers and flying is good. We have air marshal on this list, which is one in a blue for a two one human soldier. And you can pay three to have target soldier gain flying until end of turn. My first round opponent at uh, the pre-release that I played in at the LGS in Chicago uh, had this on the battlefield in a, a pretty decent white blue soldier aggressive deck. And she went, I, I can, I'm going to call it judge over, but um, I, can I use this ability to target this card? And I was like, well, unfortunately for me, yes you can (laughs) and then she proceeded to pump three mana into it and hit me in the air and that felt bad so yeah flying is you know we it feels stupid to say it (laughs) in every limited set but flying is good in this format well but i think certainly some sets better than others and i think aggressive flying is certainly a thing here yep trench stalker up next is four and a black for a four five as long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn it has death touch and lifelink you were higher on this card than me and i talked you down i think this is more where you had it in line death touch lifelink is a problem and it's not very hard to turn that on i think both of those are correct i agree with your assessment of this being an overperformer but i think the reason that we both ended up down on this card was we were like hey five mana four or five that's just big and we were like but there's bigger things but i think those bigger things are largely not good and so this often does feel like the biggest thing on the battlefield or in the the few times i've seen it it is both the biggest thing or one of the biggest things on the battlefield then it's not hard to turn this on and it's nearly impossible to interact favorably with yes next up is sentinel stalwart we talked about this green for a one one elf druid soldier tap it tap an untapped artifact or creature you control add one mana of any color fixing it is scarce this is something to do with power stones this is a way to ramp as well this has relevant types as a soldier. This just checks a lot of small boxes. And I think this, you know, I looked at, the, we all looked at this, I think, at least for myself, I was like, eh, cute, whatever I see it, but I don't want to put this in a deck. I think I do now want to put this in a deck. Yeah. Next up is Boulder Branch Golem. This is seven mana for a six, five on ETBs. You gain life equal to its power. Six is so much life when you cast this for seven mana. And then it's got prototype for three and a green for a three, three. And you gain three. The flexibility on this is good. This is, I think, one of the best ways for the ramp decks that are trying to, you know, derp around, get some power stones to stabilize against the aggressive decks in the format. Next is Zephyr Sentinel. One in the blue for a 2-1 human soldier with flash and flying. When it enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature you control to its owner's hand. If it was a soldier, put a plus one plus one counter on Zephyr Sentinel. Shout out to Nikolai Bolas, who first showed me the truth about blue-white soldiers during their early access event. He had a nutso version of this deck with two copies of Zephyr Sentinel. And it felt like impossible to interact with what he was doing. Like everything about this card, you just keep reading. You're like, yep, this is great. Like two mana, two on flash flyer. Great. Relevant types in a soldier. Great. Saving a creature at instant speed. Great. Or picking it up out from under one of those enchantment based removal spells. Great. Getting to be a three, two flash flyer. If you pick up a soldier, even better. Rebuying an ETB effect. Even better. This card is amazing. Next up, shout out to your preview card, Alloy Animist. Green for a one, one, and you can pay two in a G until end of turn. Target non-creature artifact you control becomes a four, four artifact artifact creature this is a reason to get some power stones on the battlefield absolutely this i think like that is a card that really excites me i think i I would you know maybe even put that in the group of cards in you know you think about what are your reasons to do late game lots of power stone things well certainly rares you know big expensive artifacts that you see i think alloy animus is on that list especially if you have like one or two ways to rebuy it i think this can just be your deck's game plan for sure 
Falaji Excavation, speaking of ways to make a bunch of Power Stones, three green green for an uncommon, create three tapped Power Stone tokens at sorcery speed, you gain three life. I think even with knocking down Rust Golem quite a few pegs, this still is a lot of pieces of cardboard for one card. Yeah, I was hoping this was going to be good, and it's been about as good as I hoped it was going to be. Like, playable. This card is playable and certainly, I think, not embarrassing to cast. But I think a way to reframe it is, I think you want the Alloy Animist first. You want the expensive bomb rare artifact first before taking this. I don't think you want to take Falaji Excavation and be like, I'm sure I'll see something worth using these three (laughs) power stones for because you just might not. Right. Last on this list is Iron Craw Crusher. Talk to me about this card. This is seven mana for a four six. And when it attacks, target attacking creature gets plus X plus O until on a turn where X is its power. And it's got prototype for two GG for a two five. This has just been a problem. I've faced it a couple times. It's got enough toughness that it's difficult to block and then enables attacks for other things and if there aren't other things it also can just make itself large can attack as a you know your four mana four five or a seven mana eight six it just is very modal and kind of awkward to block we only have a couple underperformers to talk about before we get into our you know loose re-rankings of top commons first on this list which is now absent from the top three blue commons is scatter ray one in a blue for an instant counter target artifact or creature spell unless its controller pays four you know you asked me last week how confident are you about this being you know meme or dream and i was like pretty confident because even though you know there are power stones four is still a lot but the restriction here honestly i was like oh you're going to be countering like artifacts or creatures that's most of what you want to counter actually no it's not (laughs) like no (laughs) there's a lot of other things i'd like to counter and this doesn't touch those yeah Uh, there's enough things that doesn't hit that it's awkward i mean i think it's still playable You're probably playing in a blue decks. You're just not picking it aggressively. And I think its best home is in the tempo blue white soldiers deck. Well, and I would also say that I think if you don't have stern lessons in your deck, I think you're a lot less excited about this because when you can't one have an outlet and I guess you could argue like, well, if you're in blue and you don't have stern lessons, why are you in blue? But like if you don't have stern lesson to pass with mana up with this and then also a way to discard this when it is not good with stern lesson, I just think Stern Lesson makes this a lot better, and without it, I'm much less excited about Scatter Ray. Well, except the thing I'm not excited about either of those cards with, I mean, Stern Lesson is still good, but I think blue control is awkward because you don't get the removal in blue. And I think yeah. playing a control deck without the removal is a recipe for disaster in this format. And, and and just playing control in general in the format might be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think you basically just, like, if you pair it with black, you're thrilled because black has removal in droves. But I, I have definitely felt that hurt on blue of, like, your best ways to interact are an enchantment-based removal spell and a bad, totally lost variant. Like, it's a little dicey. Yep. Other underperformer is shoot down three and a green sorcery exile target artifact enchantment or creature with flying. This I think seems like based on what we've said should be good. And that was kind of the assumption I was operating under until I played with it. It kills artifacts enchantments and flyers, which you need to do. But four mana at sorcery speed is just so expensive. It's just very clunky. Right. I mean, we have been not happy with four mana sorcery speed, like catch all removal in the past. And so the restrictions on this plus the timing restrictions make it tough. Yeah, I I don't think this is very good. All right, let's get to some top commons re-ranked. We are various ranges of confident here. I think starting (laughs) off with white would be the least confident. I I feel confident about the cards I don't want to include on this list. Like I've talked about 
the two mana two one that uh, when it dies makes a power stone. I like that card a lot. I just don't think that's what white is trying to do. I think white really wants to do soldiers. I mean, obviously, like if you look at its signpost on commons, white blue soldiers, obviously white red has some soldiers and, and creatures entering the battlefield synergy. White black is creature based with mana value three or less. I think white green, I, I've not seen the white green like artifact ETB thing happen yet, but I think white is soldier based aggressive. And so I know about the cards I don't want on the list. I don't know about the cards I want on the list very much. Yeah, I've, we've got some guesses. So number one, I've got Prison Sentence, two and a white. Um, that's the Arrest, Chain of Creature Can't Attack or Block, or uh, Activate its Activated Abilities, and when ETBs, you scry two. And then some guesses about creatures here. We already talked about Warlords Elite. That's the two and a white, four, four soldier as an additional cost to cast that you tap two other permanents, so whatever lands, power stones, creatures for it. That could be there. You could even sell me on Phalanx Vanguard, the one on a white 2-2 Vigi. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. Though, I don't know how I feel about white cards that care about artifacts, you know? Yeah. I think the, the two other cards that really stand out to me are Aeronaut Cavalry. We've already talked about that. That's the 3-4 flyer that brings a plus one plus one counter. I think currently I've been owned by that enough that I'm going to start treating that as a top white common until proven otherwise and again i could see that going either way it's a five mana card but if that's a top white common and it takes people a while to figure it out i think you're gonna get a big edge by picking that aggressively yeah i I feel that for sure and then my i still have a big question about this which is disenchant one on white instant destroy target artifact or enchantment i think there's a lot of hits for this but i think if people start to adjust, one of the, the selling points on this is sniping, you know, big dumb creatures for a huge mana discount. As I think maybe people start to adjust that investment in the big dumb things because the Rust Goliaths of the world aren't that good, maybe Disenchant gets worse. But I could also see Disenchant because it actually removes the thing. There's a world where that could be better than Prison Sentence, I think. Yes, that was, again, like one of my takes in the top commons from last week. I just don't know. We yes. haven't played enough to know. Uh, moving on to blue, I feel medium about these as as cards. I would say because I think one of the things <laughs> <laughs> one of the things one of the problems with blue is that it's so wrapped up in power stones and wheel spinning, and it can do that very well. But as you've pointed out, as I think we've sort of hammered home uh, in this episode, is that you have to start from getting that at rare or retro artifact slot before all of these cards do work, I think. Yeah, or you just have to be careful about affecting the board before not affecting the board. Yeah, so at number one, we still have Stern Lesson. That's a two and a blue instant. Draw two cards, discard a card, and then make a tapped Power Stone token. And is the question I have for you is, is that still the top blue common? I think it is for me, and it's going to be really hard for me to adjust if that's not the top blue common, because I was so confident about it that I think if there's a, an adjustment period and we're wrong about blue or we're wrong about stern lesson, that that's going to be a, a hard stern lesson for me to learn. Uh-huh. Uh, the question I would have is if stern lesson is not the top blue common, what does blue do if it's not doing power stone stuff? Supporting white in soldiers, supporting black, like a blue spell. Yeah, I don't so know. So then is, the, is air marshal the number one common? Like that can't be the world we're living in. Well, or it is, and the format's not any good, which is my fear. My fear is that blue is too wheel spinny to hang with the decks that aren't spinning their wheels. And I I really hope I'm wrong about that. 
Okay, so number two, we have Mightstone's animation, which I think was a pretty big miss for us to not have in our top three comments last week. This is the three in a blue enchantment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, it enchants an artifact, and that artifact has base power and toughness 4-4 and is an artifact creature. Um, this card's very, very good. I have not had the dream of like just this being the deck's game plan, but like you turn your combat curves into four fours with haste. You turn your mana rocks, you turn your power stones into four fours with haste. It's just, this card is very strong. And the fact that it also replaces itself has felt pretty busted to me. Yeah. I have not played with or against it much, but I've heard a lot of scuttle about it and I will trust the scuttle until proven otherwise. Moving on to the third slot. Difficult to say what's here. I've really got my eye on wing commando, the tuna blue two, two flyer with prowess. That's been very impressive for my opponents. I haven't played with it much yet. And then I'm also curious about weak stone subjugation as a nod to needing removal. It's single blue enchant artifact or creature. Um, on ETBs, you can pay three. If you do, tap enchanted permanent, and the enchanted permanent doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Moving on to black, as we talked about, black has still felt very deep. I feel pretty confident that overwhelming remorse is in the number one slot. That's the four and a black instant. Uh, costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard, and it exiles target creature or planeswalker. Again, with how much I bumped up Unearth in my estimation of the format, I have also bumped up Exile in my estimation of removal spells. So that really pushes remorse over the top, I think. Yeah, for sure. I like overwhelming remorse quite a bit. And then I don't know what's next. You have Moment of Defiance next, which I do want to talk about. This is the Tuna Black instant target creature gets plus two, plus one, and lifelink until end of turn, and you draw a card. This card has felt powerful to me, but also awkward because... Does black play an aggressive role very well? I mean, you can, certainly, or the color you pair it with can. I mean, you need to include certain types of creatures before you're happy about Moment of Defiance, but I think the card is powerful enough that you're happy trying to make it work, right? Like, the the rub is that it's hard to get your creature to win the combat, only getting one toughness boost. Right. But if you're playing some high-powered, high-toughness, or just some large creatures, sticking Moment of Defiance, I think, is game breaking at common and i think there are not a lot of commons that are at that power level where they do powerful enough things to hang with the good uncommons and the good rares and i think moment of defiance is good enough that i am willing to work towards making it be very good yeah yeah i I can see that for sure and then there's like a handful of cards that i think are sort of their power is predicated on this idea of do you have something worth you know, ramping towards in Gix's caress. That's the, you know, Thoughtseize variant, the remove a card from your opponent's hand and make a tapped power stone. But you got to have something to do with that power stone. You have to have a reason to be doing that controlling kind of effect or even emergency weld. That's the basically the, the two mana grave digger. You make a one one artifact soldier creature token and you get to return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. It's good, but it's powerful. But what are you getting back? Is that better than, you know, a base level of removing things and being assertive with something like a, a Thraxodemon, you know? Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions about Black's commons, other than that there are a lot of them that are very good. I will say I am down on Gix's caress as a three mana thing that doesn't affect the board. Yeah, I think I have to be as well. I will say I've never felt bad casting it, though. Like, I hear you on the affecting the board thing, but I have always felt good resolving it on turn three. Yeah, I, I have not. I've been too far behind already. With the already times I've on turn it. three? Yeah. Uh, this format has been fast, That's terrible. That's terrible. Okay. All right, what's going on with red? I feel pretty confident about the order of the red commons. Number one, we've got Excavation Explosion. That's the two in a red. Deal three, make a Power Stone. That card is excellent. Never cutting a copy, no matter how much you care about Power Stones. Uh, number two slot, Pendragon Strongbull. That's the two in a red, two, three. 
could pay one sacrifice an artifact to give it plus one plus one until end of turn and you deal a damage to an opponent i think that is the sacrifice outlet du jour in red and then in the number three slot to pair with Pentagon Strongbowl, we've got Sibling Rivalry, the three and a red Active Treason variant that makes a Power Stone um, for some Steel and Sack action. And I do think a, a self-contained Steel and Sack package in red is very strong. Um, you can certainly pair that with other colors, but best paired with black, definitely. And then moving on to green, I think green suffers a little bit from just like one, there's a lot of context with its commons, and two, just that a lot of its power comes from higher rarity. Like, I don't think you want to get into green at common a lot of the time, but it's top two I feel pretty good about. Argothian Opportunist is number one. That's the two in a green, three, two. When it enters the battlefield, you make a tapped Power Stone token. And Epic Confrontation in number two as the fight spell. Uh, target creature you control at sorcery speed gets plus one, plus two until end of turn, and then it fights target creature you don't control. I do like your choice for number three here with Argothian Sprite. This is the one and a green two, two can't be blocked by artifact creatures and you can pay seven mana to put two plus one plus one counters on it. This is the kind of like big, dumb, colorless thing that I would like to dump mana into. You know, I like this way more than an eight mana or God, God forbid, a 10 mana prototype creature. You know, I, I like this much more as a thing that's good early and I think that's good late flexibility wise, you know? Yeah, I would. The thing I would say about green is it sounds like you are lower on the commons than I am. I, I feel like green's pretty good at common, like probably the color I'm most excited about past black at common. Oh, wow. Well, I guess that can bring us to our, our color rankings. And maybe this is a holdover because I said I I have blue a little bit higher than you, but maybe that's just because I do love me a good wheel spin. So what are your color rankings? Largely non-committal. I think, I think <laughs> black is the best. And then I would maybe tentatively put green in the number two slot. But largely, I have no idea between green, white and blue. And then I have those three better than red. Because I think red's largely dumpy at common past the top three. But if red's open and you're getting red's good commons, I do think you can make good red decks. Has this? Are you any more excited about, hey, there's still like more puzzle to solve here with this format from this conversation? Or are you like, nope, still feeling kind of poopy about the set? I mean, I feel kind of poopy about the set, but I'm very <laughs> excited to play a new set. I mean, like... You better believe I'm going to be jamming drafts. But it's like we're canceling the podcast and I'm done with magic. I am going to be drafting up a storm this week uh, starting on Tuesday. And I'm I'm excited to play the format and I'm excited to figure out what's good. I'm just concerned that I'm not going to like the answers to the questions. I would say mm. is my my current state. That's that's good. I thought we were going to make it to 300 episodes, but I guess not. 296. <laughs> we had a good run, Ben. Stop. But uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I'm excited to continue to ask questions as we get into week one of the format. I'm excited to find the answers, and I hope that I like the answers. Yeah, I, I hope I like the answers as well. And I would be curious, too, in the Discord, like as we head into Tuesday, shout us out, you know, if you've got different opinions or you had different experiences, yeah. because I, I am certain that we do not have the answers in this episode. Like, I am certain we are going to be updating the top common rankings more. I'm certain we're going to have a clearer picture of what what decks are good, what strategies are good, what archetypes are good. And we'll have a lot more data next week as well. For sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there to purchase any magic product, if you want to sign up for the TCG Player subscription to get access to all the great articles that are being written at the start of the Brothers War format, please use our affiliate link, which can be easily found at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player or over on our website proper under the support tab. 
You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. Until Elon Musk crushes it. <laughs> oh, no. That's so true. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.